Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the Hour of Truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. A very warm welcome to our regular listeners and those who are new to Aetherius Radio Live. And also a belated Happy New Year. It will be interesting to see what 2020 brings us. A Serious Radio Live is brought to you on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio every third Tuesday monthly at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. UK Time, and 10 a.m. Pacific Time. A Serious Radio Live invites you to discover the cosmic message for this age revealed through legendary master of yoga and world-renowned medium, Dr. George King, between 1954 and 1997. As always, be prepared for another amazing show covering fascinating topics such as karma, UFOs, the Mother Earth, the New World, the Next Master, life on other planets, and much, much more. Today on the Sirius Radio Live, your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze will be talking about a very topical subject, very close to our hearts, UFOs and spirituality. So it's my great pleasure to hand over to Richard and Chrissy. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Nikki. Hello, Richard. Hi, Chrissy. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. And how are you? Excellent. There's been a real buzz in the air over here. We've we've had a whole run of uh, UFO-related uh, interview, interviews and presentations, um, and of course the highlight being uh, with George Norrie, of course, on Coast to Coast, which I haven't done for nine years, believe it or not. And then I had a very interesting one with my old friend James Whale on talk radio yesterday evening. That's a very exciting time, I know, and, and I just want to say a few words about Richard, because for new listeners, uh, you may not know, but he's extremely well-versed. He's an expert in these topics, UFOs and spirituality, and well-known in the field, and he's been discussing uh, these topics in the worldwide media for many decades. I don't want to make you sound too old, Richard, but a long time. <laughs> I don't mind. I admit it. <laughs> you've had some extraordinary experiences, first-hand experiences in the form of evidence that UFOs exist and that they are helping mankind, and we'll go into that later. Mm. But I just want to say that mm. Rich is also the author of two fantastic UFO books. One, the best-selling uh, UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message, and I just heard recently that this uh, fantastic book, it's a real resource, this book, is actually being um, re-released. It's being with a, a new forward, which Richard is going to write to sort of update it, because with, in this field, things are happening all the time. Um, so that's great. And it's coming out in August, I believe. Um, the second book he co-authored with the founder of the Aetherius Society, Dr. George King, and that's Contacts with the Gods from Space. And so this decade, January the 2020, Richard has been talking almost non-stop uh, since early January throughout what the UK. What else is new, Chrissy? <laughs> <laughs> On these major shows, which, which he brought up, uh, Coast to Coast with George Nuri in the U.S., and you've done, I think, six uh, shows, including the major show, Talk Radio, with um, very well-known presenter James Whale. And um, Richard, I hear that you ended the show with doing something quite extraordinary. I wonder if you'd like to yes. go into that. I've got to take my hat off to James uh, Whale because, uh, and, and his co-presenter Ash, because they, much as they, you know, they, they, they can certainly ask searching questions and be quite um, demanding or confrontational almost at times in their questioning, which is fair enough, but on this occasion, they uh, absolutely went with the spirit of it and we, all three of us in the studio, that's James and Ash and myself, had our hands raised in the prayer mudras taught by Dr. George King and were leading uh, the listeners, those who wished to join in from this national talk radio station in sending out energy, both for healing, first of all, and then for peace and uh, stability in the Iran situation. And that was done live uh, over, over na national radio with the two, other, the two presenters joining in in the studio. So all credit to James and to Talk Radio for that. 
That's fantastic, Richard. And uh, listeners will hear later on that this is the, one of the things that we can do to help uh, our world and also to cooperate in a way with, with what the cosmic masters uh, want us to be doing to bringing love and spiritual energy into this world. So that's really a fantastic ending to your show. Now, all of this latest UFO, UFO activity this year is as a result of a, a stunning interview with Britain's first astronaut, Helen Sharman. And she reported in the British Observer newspaper, and interestingly, Richard used to write a column for the magazine of this same newspaper. And she reported in her interview on January the 5th that, and I'm going to give her words, aliens exist, there's no two ways about it. And she's an astronaut, remember. There are so many billions of stars out there in the universe that there must be all sorts of different forms of life. Will they be like you and me, made up of carbon and nitrogen? Maybe not. It's possible they're here right now, and we simply cannot see them. So Richard, as Helen Sharman suggests, is it possible do you believe that aliens are here right now? Absolutely. I think we all do on Ethereum Radio Live. And just before I get into that, I'd like to welcome, my understanding is we have a number of new listeners to Ethereum Radio Live this evening. And I think we also need to apologize, Chrissy, for the last show. It wasn't our fault, but somewhere down the line at a technical level, um, it did get lost. And so I think I heard a number of people were trying to get hold of it and they couldn't get hold of it. That was on uh, discipleship in the new age or, or through the ages, I beg your pardon. And um, all I can say is I think we'll repeat that next month, won't we, Chris? We'll have to do that again yes. because, uh, again, through no fault of us, but from uh, the, the people involved at a technical level with the station, it did get lost and... Um, don't worry, though, it'll be in the February show. The other thing I would like to do is also welcome um, people from the stations. Uh, I mean, you've mentioned the two biggest ones, but I also did um, a show in, in one of the Channel Islands here called Guernsey. I didn't go there, but I did it from the Broadcasting House in London, from the BBC. And uh, also uh, we had uh, right at the other end uh, of, our, of the country, up in Newcastle in the north, very famous show, actually, a very well-known show called Night Owls. So any listeners from any of those shows, uh, George Norrie and, of course, from Talk Radio, very warm welcome to Ethereist Radio Live. Yes, Chrissy, coming to Helen Sharman, it was, it was incredible. And I was actually very pleased it was in the Observer magazine, this interview, because when I had the column there, which was a mind and body column about, was it 10, 15 years ago, whenever it was, I always wanted that column to be mind, body, spirit. And they didn't, and it never sort of got there where I wanted it to get. Um, and they certainly wouldn't have let me publish something about invisible aliens in that column at the time. And it's great to see now, uh, thanks to Helen Sharman, that that, that concept is there. And that's really good. And I think it's a very interesting comment. As you say, yes, we do believe that. I think the master theorists have stated quite specifically that uh, one could go to the planet Mars and unless they wished to be viewed and seen, the inhabitants of that planet, uh, we would not see them. Uh, they, they, and this is because, as I think we well understand, uh, that they inhabit higher levels, higher frequencies of existence. And that also applies, of course, on this Earth. People whose physical bodies have passed on, they, the people, haven't passed on, but they're now inhabiting, hopefully, higher frequencies rather than lower ones, um, of energy and different energy levels and unless you have particular clairvoyance or you're capable of out-of-body experiences something which according to the uh, Daily Express over here by the way has and I quote uh, been confirmed as real out-of-body major breakthrough scientists confirm out-of-body experiences are real um, so all this stuff is coming out, and there's, there's quite a shift, I think, in the spiritual direction. But unless you could do that, you would not know, you would not be able to see uh, the life that's on this planet, never mind other planets. Thank you, Richard. Yes, it's very hopeful that things are changing and things are being proven. Richard, mm. as Executive Secretary in the UK, in Europe and Africa of the world's oldest UFO organization, the Ethereum Society, can you tell us when and how this organization began? 
Yes, absolutely. You know, um, when Dr. King was among us, physically among us, he's very much among us, but physically among us, uh, he was always absolutely crystal clear that the Ethereum Society started in 1955. You, you might remember, Chris, we used to have those stickers on on our correspondence. So it would be like 21 years of spiritual service, 22 yeah. years of spiritual service. And it would all be dated back to 1955. And we don't have a specific date in 1955 that we can use. When we celebrate the starting of the Ethereum Society in America, they use the date of incorporation in the state of California, or you use, I should say, not they use. And over here, we use the date of the first ever um, committee meeting where the aims and objects were agreed and so on, which was in 1956. But um, actually, if I had to pick a date from 1955, I've been thinking about this quite a lot, Chrissy, I would pick January the 29th, 1955, coming up very soon, actually. Uh, and the reason I'd pick that date, uh, at the 65th anniversary, I mean, is coming up very soon of that date, is because that's the first time that Dr. King went public with the Ethereum Society, you might say. It wasn't called the Ethereum Society yet. They were called Ethereum Meetings. And up to that time, he had already started receiving communications from the Master Theorists, of course. Uh, he'd had the command the previous year, as we all know, in May 1954. And in his residence, and sometimes in another residence, but in his residence at Maida Vale, he had received uh, to a small groups of invited people uh, transmissions from the master theory so that wasn't completely new but what was absolutely new on january the 29th 1955 is that he went public and we have to remember he was a very shy person uh, he didn't suit him the public eye at all i've had i had conversations with him about that because uh, i was doing a lot of publicity in his lifetime and he did it of course brilliantly but it wasn't his cup of tea at all and this was particularly poignant, and I, I'd really like to read, if I may, and this I'm now quoting the King Who Came to Earth, a biography that was published last year, uh, about January the 29th, 1955, when he went to the Caxton Hall and received for the first time to a public meeting. In other words, anyone could come along uh, who, who paid at the door, I presume, uh, and they could attend uh, an Ethereum meeting. And this is how he described it. I quote, I had to start, for some reason, best known to the great ones at the bottom. I was informed that the trans condition must be done in front of the people of London. When the whole of my group, just on the verge of this first transmission going before the public, walked out and left me absolutely and completely alone, it was like adding insult to injury. But you see, this was another essential experience. I will never forget my feelings that night. When I walked into Caxton Hall, London, a lone little figure, I looked at the audience, went up onto the platform and thought to myself, how in the name of the Lord can I get this very, very difficult trans condition under these conditions? You see, one flashbulb at the wrong time would have killed me. One noise at the wrong time might have given me internal hemorrhage. This I knew and appreciated very definitely. There I was, completely alone, or apparently so, however ethereous, a Venusian communicator was able that night to speak to London for the first time. That's very moving, and one realizes yeah. right, right from the beginning how very, very difficult uh, our master's mission was. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, as, and, an and, you know, I, as an aside, I like the 29th date oh. because that makes the Ethereum Society oh. um, Aquarius, from the sign of Aquarius, as it is. Oh, true, founder. yeah. And, of course, yeah. Aquarius is uh, that combining of science and spirituality, that humanitarianism, which is so much the Ethereum Society. Actually, if you get time, and you don't have much, I know, be very interesting to do a chart on that date, I, I think. I mean, I, I'm just giving my opinion here. I want to stress this is not the official Ethereum yeah. Society view or policy or anything. But I'm just saying if I had to pick a date, that's the date I would pick because then people could come to what became the Ethereum Society for the first time without being personally invited to someone's home. I definitely will um, do a chart on that. Yes, 
Good. That would be very interesting. And we'll, we'll get back to our listeners on that when you've done it, maybe. Yes. And Richard, um, um, oh, yeah. sorry, carry on. No, all I was going to say is that uh, there was a gentleman over here by the name of Rex Dutter, whom I think you met, Chrissy. Mm, yes. Um, and he, he ran an organization called Viewpoint Aquarius. He was a very, very knowledgeable theosophist and UFO believer. Um, and he was around, uh, not in the Aetherius Society, but familiar. He ran his own organization. He knew Dr. King, and he remembers the early days. I mean, he's passed on some before Dr. King did, but I knew him, and I had a number of conversations with him. And he made it absolutely clear to me that right from the beginning, Dr. King stated that he was talking about intelligences on higher planes as well as higher planets. And that's a good little slogan, that, higher planes as well as higher planets. Yes. Uh, yes, in other indeed. words, higher frequencies, higher realms, higher levels. He never went out, as most contactees or claimed contactees did at the time, and just said this is a physical thing, uh, you know, physical phenomena, physical encounters. He was always talking about higher planes. Very interesting, and that helps to explain, as you say, Helen Sharman's comment too. Yes, it does. And it's, isn't it interesting that so many um, astronauts uh, who had two things, I mean, obviously going for the one, they'd been into space, and a number of them had absolute uh, epiphanies, I think, including Edgar Mitchell, when they did go into space, and the other thing is they would have had access to certain classified information which they weren't allowed to reveal, although I believe that Gordon Cooper may have deliberately done so. I mean, I, the late Gordon Cooper, I think, was for revealing things. But all of them that I've heard of, I won't say that all of them, but quite a number of them believed in alien life and extraterrestrial existence and some visits to this planet and so on. There's a quote from one, actually, Chris Hadfield, who was a former commander of the International Space Station. And he said, I don't know of any astronauts who think we're alone in the universe. Yes, yes, I've heard that too, yeah. And mm. of course, there's Colonel James Irwin, wasn't there, who actually yes. got King Met. On, um, yes, tell us about that, Chrissy. Yes, he, he met um, the astronaut Colonel James Irwin in 1974, and people, some people may remember he was the astronaut who commanded the Apollo 14 lunar flight and landing, and he walked on the moon. And uh, Dr. King was also uh, doing a lecture tour at the time, and they met at local, our local in Detroit, WJR Radio, and uh, later on WKBT-TV. And uh, the colonel discussed with Dr. King personally and on the show some spiritual revelations where he felt a closeness to God that had altered his life while he was walking on the moon. And Dr. King uh, explained to him uh, why that had happened. I don't know if you could comment on that, Richard, the reason for that. Yeah, well, no, you carry on, Chrissy, because oh. you probably know more about this story than I do. So please do continue. Uh, well... Dr. King simply explained that because he was beyond the, uh, the ring path knot, uh, which effectively blocks uh, pranic energies from reaching the Earth and cosmic rays, then it wasn't surprising that many of the astronauts, and I know um, Edgar Mitchell also had that same experience, many of them felt that way once they left the Earth and they went into space. And then when he was on, at the TV studios, they met again, and um, apparently Dr. King, um, well, he, he was watching Dr. King being interviewed and talking about Operation Prayer Power. And mm. um, he made the observation that this, is a, this mission is being used for good. He declared that. Mm -hmm. But the principle behind it could easily be misused. And I thought it was very interesting. This intelligent, scientific, disciplined man uh, could grasp that important aspect of metaphysics. That's very interesting. And I, and I think, you know, we're, we're certainly talking about the, the beginnings of the society, but I think one of the things we should also stress is the, the current position of the society and where we're going from here, and that we are still cooperating directly now with people, beings, I should say, from other worlds. This has not stopped. 
And that's something that Dr. King brilliantly, of course, laid the foundations for. So on Sunday, two days ago, uh, there were what we call spiritual energy radiator runs. Uh, listeners, regular listeners will know what that means. People who are new t tonight uh, will uh, not, but of course we can explain that it's equipment, it's apparatus that we have that the intelligences from other worlds will use to send spiritual energy, prayer energy if you like, healing energy if you like, out to the world. And on Sunday, uh, we arranged, we're able to arrange for energy to be sent through those, as well as energy sent through those, our online service, which I, there were well over 60 people uh, cooperating with um, on Sunday, um, we, we sent energy as well, so individuals, human beings. And this was all directed to peace talks going on in Berlin between the major powers, um, certainly I know Mike Pompeo was there, Boris Johnson was there, Angela Merkel was there, Macron was there, other world leaders were there. And at the end of that gathering, uh, it was agreed that there would be an arms embargo on all sales to Libya, the, uh, on either side, the civil war on either party receiving arms. Now, whether that will be held, we'll have to just hope it will be held. We'll have to, that remains to be seen. But the agreement was made, and... You know, I'm not going to claim that's entirely a result of what we did. One could never know. But undoubtedly, it must have helped, and that's an extremely positive result. That's very positive. And, you know, as you say, it's hard to know. But over the years, over the many years, we've had many examples of this. And uh, we also know, and many people do know, that um, uh, UFOs or extraterrestrial intelligences have been helping with atomic accidents. And uh, Richard... Um, the early transmissions received by Dr. King focused heavily on the dangers of atomic experimentation, which is still with us today. Yes. And there are a couple yes. specifically, Richard, that I know you have been extremely involved in bringing the truth about. And the first one uh, took place in 1957 in an atomic research establishment. And uh, it's the third, third biggest in history, actually. And perhaps you could tell us uh, the information about this or the details about this, Richard. Yes, before I do, I think once again I would stress that um, Dr. King always said about atomic radiation, he was an active, extremely active campaigner against uh, nuclear weapons and the uncontrolled use of atomic radiation in all its forms. Um, uh, but he made the point, again, as he did about life on other planets, that it operates on several octaves, uh, in fact seven, so what was being detected with a Geiger counter, assuming the Geiger counter was effective, was only one level, that in fact it would affect the other levels, including what we would call the etheric levels as well. And that's why the effects of these uh, situations would be far, far worse than they, they actually um, are, were physically thought to be because of the other octaves affecting the other levels of people and of, of life and so on. And the one that you refer to, the accident you refer to, there was a transmission delivered on April the 18th, 1958. And that transmission and the editorial before it revealed there'd been uh, a, a catastrophic accident in a, an, a, an atomic establishment, a research establishment as well. And this was causing would have caused, actually, the death of 17 million people. That would be very hard to understand and believed in, especially then, if it wasn't for the what I mentioned, the other octaves and their ability to travel and be picked up in countries, other countries around the world and so on, and the effects could last for years and years and years. Now... Uh, not, they didn't just give information, they had an active program of reducing and even intervening to reduce the impacts of these accidents, and this was one. The date you give for it is a date the Soviet Union have given, uh, September of 57. Uh, in the transmission, it says it's recent. Um, one can look at as recent as being weeks, as being months. It certainly wasn't years. Um, and... What I would say is that in 19... Nobody admitted to this accident. There were reports out um, about... Some press reports about 
some type of accident which was believed to have been missile test accident um, in the testing of weapons not there was no mention at all that we've ever found of an accident in any kind of atomic establishment or research center at all um, but certainly there was stuff out about increased radiation and it was attributed in press reports at the time to being a result of bad meteorological forecasting which had affected missile tests which had caused them to be aborted and it was very vague reporting extremely vague and unsubstantiating reporting so Dr King coming out very definitely publishing very definitely in 1958 that there'd been this accident in an in a atomic research establishment was absolutely unique unique at the time yeah. We haven't found any source before it that published that information. And in fact, in 1976, uh, an exiled Soviet scientist by the name of Zoris Medvedev, whom I met, came to London and revealed it, and it was published, and we've told this story many times, in 1976. They published it as a scoop. And I noticed, Christy, I was reading an article actually about another a much less serious accident more recently in that same establishment in, in the press here. I think it was the Independent Online. And they confirmed that this accident, the one we're talking about, was kept secret until 1976. Really? And that was okay. only last year in, in the Independent Online. And um, then uh, I met Medvedev. He at the time thought it was early uh, in 58. I think he later changed his version because in 1989, the Soviet Union came out and admitted it. And, th and this was, I, I presume, this was during the period of Gorbachev and Glasnost openness when they were starting to admit things. Right. And yeah. they then admitted it for the first time. So that'll be 30 years after us, over 30 years. That's when they gave the date. So that date is theirs. It's not ours. We don't get into the minutiae of exactly which date it was. We just said that it happened. And nobody else said it happened. And I maintain that's one of the sure uh, evidences, shall we say. Yeah. As some people might say it's not proof. Some might say it is proof. But it's certainly evidence of the authenticity of Dr. King's contacts. Absolutely. I mean, this really is one. And of course, there are many more as well. Um, there I are others. The I mean, the, the yeah. I'm, I'm just going to quickly mention another one in the same period, which was Windscale, uh, which again right. was completely denied, as this was completely denied. I mean, I actually recently looked in, because I, as you rightly say, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a foreword for the new edition of UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message. I've examined findings of recent on this Kishtim, it's known as, by the way, this, uh, this nuclear facility. And um, in, in fact, it's um, regarded as, as you said, the third worst accident in history, the other two being Chernobyl and Fukushima. So at the time, it was the worst. And it was built, it was a secret establishment. It was built, and I believe it must have been by Stalin under his rule, um, just after the Second World War to match a program known as Manhattan, which was being developed in America. And the idea of it was the research and development of nuclear weapons and they created a, an environment in the locale. Nobody could come into it other than people. They brought scientists, intellectuals, workers from different parts of the Soviet Union into that area. And they were, they were not allowed to leave at all, actually. But they were given a much higher quality of life than people in other parts of the Soviet Union. Better food, better living, accommodation and so forth. But they couldn't leave the area. And that was their task. And it wasn't known about, it was denied, but you can find it in Cosmic Voice 16, um, printed in, in 1958. Well, thank you very much, Richard. That's so interesting. It's always interesting. I know on the past in these shows, Richard, you have brought up the Chernobyl 1986 yeah. accident and the fantastic information you have about that. I don't know whether, no, probably we should have a break now. We've already got to Probably we should, show. yeah. Yeah, we but wouldn't want to delay Nikki. I mean, we could get into trouble if we did that. <laughs> Absolutely. So perhaps after the break, we could talk briefly about that, too, because it is so amazing. Okay. Well, well, I mean, what can I say? Um, what a truly fascinating 
first half of the show, and thank you so very much, Richard and Chrissy. You are listening to Ethereum Radio Live with hosts Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze talking about UFOs and spirituality. You can help to make a difference to our world. And every Saturday and Sunday, you are warmly welcome to join us in the live online 12 Blessings services. And to find out more, please visit 12blessings.org, and that's 12 in digits. For details regarding regular activities at the Michigan branch, please visit Michigan at Aetherius.org. The new 2020 program of events being held at the Aetherius Temple in London is being worked on and will appear on london-temple.org. So please do visit this for more details. And for details of activities in Los Angeles and other Aetherius Society centers around the world, please visit Aetherius.org. The next Aetherius Radio Live show will be on February the 18th when Richard and Chrissy will be talking on the subject of discipleship through the ages. As already mentioned by Richard, this was featured in the December show, but unfortunately, due to technical problems beyond our control, the recording of this show was lost. But, and that's a very wonderful but, fortunately for us, Richard and Chrissy will be able to discuss the fascinating points that were covered. So, that's it for now, and I'm very pleased to return you to your hosts, Richard Lawrence, and Chrissy Blaze. Thank you, Nikki. Uh, Thank you, Nikki. Uh, Richard, uh, many people know about the uh, existence of UFOs over the Chernobyl nuclear power plant um, afterwards or during, during the accident. And this has been in the news and so on. But you had a particularly unique perspective at the time. I wonder if you could explain that to the listeners. Sure. It's now generally uh, accepted, I think, that the two biggest accidents in nuclear power stations or plants uh, in the lifetime of Dr. King were the first one I just mentioned in Kishtim and, and Chernobyl, which was even worse. And it's interesting, we have intervention by the cosmic masters, by beings from other worlds, in both cases, and in the second case, Chernobyl, I happened to be physically with Dr. King when he received the communication. Now, they're very different because in the first case, as I mentioned, uh, they didn't give the name of the location, but they did state that there had been an, a catastrophic accident in a Russian uh, research, nuclear research establishment. In the second case, uh, it was a question of getting some action going before it even started. It was just prior to it. But what we did, and I think you and I, Chrissy, wrote the, um, the Cosmic Voice that came out. You can get the full story in, in both Contacts with the Gods from Space, which I do want to stress is Dr. George King's book. I was privileged to co-author it, but it's very much his book, not mine, uh, and therefore I can thoroughly recommend it as a wonderful book, and, and also in UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message. But we did put out in that year that there'd been UFO intervention, and we published that, and we worked with them again with our spiritual energy radiators because Dr. King received the communication before it happened. And um, it's all, you can get the full story in either of these books. But one thing you might be interested to know, which I don't think we've mentioned before, and this actually, again, is in contact with the gods from space, but in the book of Revelations, chapter 8, verses 10 to 11, if you're interesting, interested, there is a, 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 a statement as follows, and I quote, And there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Hmm. Now, according to one scholar, the word Chernobyl translates as Wormwood. Really? So that's quite interesting because we've talked about the book of Revelations before. Yes. Um, yeah. And um, yes, that's, uh, I'm not sure which language exactly it translates from, but it's, a, it's certainly a language uh, relevant to the area that I know. That's fantastic. Richard, mm. um, as people know, I mean, you've been involved in UFO, UFOs, this whole topic in spirituality for decades. But have you yeah. yourself had um, significant UFO sightings? 
Yes, I don't think, uh, I wouldn't say that they're the, the most significant sightings that anyone's ever had, but I think I've, I must have had seven or eight sightings. And the first one I had was when I was at university, and that was maybe something similar to the ones that have been confirmed by the uh, U the U.S. Navy recently. As a matter of fact, on that subject, over here anyway, we've got uh, a number of news items going on, and one of the biggest ones is about our, our, our Prince Harry and his wife Meghan, and I'm sure that's hit the news. I'm sure every listener will know about that. Yeah. And on the Sunday before this one, our largest Sunday newspaper is called The Sun over here. Uh, they devoted 10 or 11 pages to Harry and Meghan, all sorts of angles, which I personally didn't read, but however it was in there. But if you actually got as far as page 14, you'd find a sort of four paragraphs in the corner, which reveal that more top secret footage of a UF encounter has been admitted by the US Navy. So, you know, when we're asked the question, I know I'm not quite answering your question here, Chrissy, but when we're asked, as we always are, rightly asked, when will they land openly among us, these UFOs, and prove themselves to all people beyond all doubt? I would say that when the Sun in UK on Sunday devotes 10 or 11 pages to the story about the US Navy confirming UFOs and one little corner to Harry and Meghan... Uh, will be a lot nearer. <laughs> yes, that's a very good point. I quite agree. <laughs> it's interesting how governments but, uh, have changed over the years, isn't it? Because they used to say there's weird reasons for, you know, for what UFOs were. And now I read on the 15th of January, a few days ago, that uh, top secret information about UFOs isn't being released because it could cause exceptionally grave damage to the national security of the U.S. if released. So... Uh, what do you think about that, Richard? Yeah, I think that's kind of a bit silly. I mean, you've got this man, uh, Louis Elizondo, haven't you, who was yeah. involved uh, at the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, in UFO uh, work and research and so on, who left because he was he seems disillusioned by it, but by, by the reaction to it, not by it, because he's a believer, and who said that they have absolute evidence that um, UFOs does nothing, I think it's a very interesting phrase actually, nothing in the US inventory uh, that could match the capabilities of these extraterrestrial craft or UFOs, and nothing in any other inventory. So the, the sort of excuse that's wheeled out nowadays seems to be, oh, it must be some secret military craft uh, which they're just experimenting with and people think it's UFOs. No. Definitely not. It's uh, the, cap the capability, the capacity of UFOs vastly, is vastly superior to anything in, in the Navy or, or anywhere else. And so the idea, to answer your question of it being a defense issue or, or you know, it, we, we've got to keep it secret for defense reasons, is laughable. I mean, we wouldn't stand a chance. It would all be over. There's nothing they can do if it was a, a hostile craft. Clearly they're not. They can't be. I think any reasonably <laughs> reasonable thinking, I want to put it politely, person can surely see that these craft, given that you believe in, and by the way, according to polls, more people do believe in them than don't believe in them, um, they could easily take over. They have these capacities. They can move, we're told, from by the U.S. Navy from, uh, I think it's 60,000 feet to 50 uh, feet. In, in, um, I've probably got those, those distances wrong. Let me get my facts right. Here it is. Going from 50,000 feet to 100 feet in seconds, which is beyond the normal laws of physics. So, you know, they have these capacities. It shouldn't be a defense issue. We've been told many times it's no threat to our defense. And yet their files, for some reason, are kept both not only in America, in Britain as well and other countries. They've been kept in defense departments. And uh, it, it's, it's absurd. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that important question, Richard. And another question that people often ask, as you well know, is why don't extraterrestrial intelligences give us just give us an undeniable sign that everyone can then accept it? No, I'm, I'm just giving sort of my view here that 
if they absolutely proved themselves to everybody beyond all doubt and you know took over the control of uh, the, the airwaves of tv of radio whatever they had to do and prove themselves to everyone beyond all doubt and the people of this planet didn't react in the right spirit and in the right way and cooperate with them as they should i would say then it would be very bad for the people of this world, not good. So it's not a matter of satisfying people's curiosity. They're way above that. They are highly advanced. Uh, to say they're intelligent would be an understatement. I mean, they're, they're beyond our levels of or comprehension, really, of intelligence, I believe. And they know, not just karmically, and we've talked about karma before on this in this program, but also psychologically, what is beneficial to the whole of the world? And they know, obviously, that the time isn't here right yet. I mean, this isn't new. This has been with us for thousands of years. It's in our oldest records. Uh, it's in the Hindu scripts. It's right through the Bible. You know, Ezekiel being a great example in Chaldea, if you pronounce Chaldea that way, I don't know. But, you know, this has been with us for thousands and thousands of years and it's still today. They're coming closer today. We have more comprehension of space travel today. We're not going to call them clouds. You know, Moses traveled in a cloud. We know you can't do that. We're not going to say it's a star hovering over a stable, as, as in Bethlehem. We've got a more sophisticated understanding, but we're still nowhere near ready as a whole to respond correctly to the undoubted proof people say they want. I don't think they necessarily would want it because it's going to bring massive change and people are going to have to change their lives when that happens. They can no longer continue uh, you know, the same type of existence when that happens. And as far as a lot of us are concerned, it'll be a wonderful thing. It'll be a very spiritual renaissance. Um, certainly the religions of the world have got to address it. I know Pope Francis, according to reports, has said he would baptize Martians. I'm not so sure a lot of Martians will be queuing up to be baptized by him. I mean, actually, the most prominent Martian, uh, one of them, uh, it, you would have Pope Francis without, because uh, I do believe St. Peter came from Mars, so it's a slightly redundant and I think they'd rather go to St. Peter rather than Pope Francis. But that's by the by. I suppose it's a good spirit. The Vatican is coming out and acknowledging that there could easily be, and undoubtedly some say definitely is intelligent life out there, and so should the Dalai Lama, and so should all these spiritual traditions. And furthermore, not just say it's there, but respond to the implications of it to their spirituality, just as certain cutting-edge scientists now are trying to respond to the implications to science. I mean, I know I'm waffling a bit here, Christine, please forgive me, but... I happened to go to the NASA website uh, before I went on George Norrie, actually. And I found, a, to me, a very, very significant point. And it was a whole thing about dark matter, dark energy, which is believed to be 95 or 96% of the universe. And they based that on the lack of gravitational force that would be required to hold planet. Uh, galaxies and solar systems together and also they base it on the force that's required to bring about the expansion of the universe being absent therefore it must be there and they call it invisible matter and where is this invisible matter what is this invisible matter they don't dispute that the 95% of the universe is full of it what is it and then there was this paragraph may I read this from a NASA website this month and I read another explanation for dark energy is that it is a new kind of dynamical energy fluid or field, something that fills all of space, but something whose effect on the expansion of the universe is the opposite of that of the matter and normal energy. Some theorists have named this quintessence after the fifth element of the Greek philosophers. Now, the fifth element of the Greek philosophers, I think you and I know very well, Chrissy, is ether. And ether in Greeks being spelled A-E-T-H-E-R. And what is our name? Ethereus, one who traveled through the ethers. That's so interesting. And that came out this week, you say? Or just That's recently? Come, uh, well, I read it last week. Um, it certainly was on their website 
a week ago. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, I'm, I mean, I welcome it. I think it's great. I mean, what we're talking about, in, in, you know, in the, in the Hindu philosophy would be prana, would be chi in certain oriental philosophies. It's uh, the missing element. It's the element that the alchemists sought. And in a way, science, you could say, is kind of being forced to this area, this terrain, which at one time would have been called mysticism. Exactly. And of course, astronomers are finding more and more planets that could sustain life, aren't they not? Well, that too, that as well, because yeah. I mean, I remember the late Patrick Moore, um, and I don't know whether you were with me on the occasion, I, I did an interview on television with Patrick Moore, and he it, believed, yeah. yeah, he actually stated and believed that um, there is no intelligent life beyond this Earth. And this was in the 1980s. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think anyone at all who knows anything at all about astronomy today would dispute that there's life out there. I mean, there's even life as we know it, the so-called Goldilocks planets, they call them, that can sustain life. They found a few, I don't know how many, a small number, they believe, that can sustain exact life as we know it on this Earth, physical life. Yes. Never mind yes. the numerous other forms of life that, as Helen Sharman rightly says, can exist throughout the universe and do exist. And she also mentioned that the the idea that UFOs may be invisible, and uh, yeah. there are many reportings of UFOs uh, appearing and then blinking out and reappearing in another part of the sky. In fact, I had a, that sighting, a similar sighting myself once. It's fairly common. Can you explain how, mm. um, Richard, how UFOs are able to do this? Yes, and, and Alison and I, I mentioned one sighting I had in Hull, but we've had... Um, sightings in Fulham in the last few years. Uh, we've had three, actually. But there again, we do look, and we're very, very sceptical, by the way. We, we, you know, we look, is it Chinese lanterns? Is it meteorites? Is it obviously a terrestrial aircraft? You know, is it any other thing? Is it a drone? I mean, I've been in touch with the drone people after one sighting just to make sure it couldn't have been a drone and it couldn't have been. Uh, we, we look for explanations of all kinds. Um, and... and I think here's an interesting, again, I found this very interesting when researching uh, UFOs and the extraterrestrial message from my friend Hazel Courtney, who's, uh, who's written a number of books um, herself. But she was uh, interviewing scientists, mainly in America, who were looking at the, 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 the invisible life from an electromagnetic spectrum point of view. In other words, and by, I want to stress here, I am not a scientist and I don't claim to be at all. I'm just quoting findings that I've come across of certain scientists. And we all know a lot of scientists don't agree with each other, so they have different views. But these particular scientists, um, and it was a Professor Heinemann and a Professor William Tiller, um, they broke down the electromagnetic spectrum, which includes gamma rays, X-rays, ultraviolet radiation, the visible spectrum, and infrared, microwaves, radio waves, and so on. And they all have a difference of the wavelength and frequency. And they said, if you imagine the electromagnetic spectrum as a reel of film 2,500 miles long, the portion that most people can see unless you're highly sensitive, is approximately two frames or two inches. So I, I know to answer your question about UFOs and their science, they obviously have a capacity to use and understand what invisible matter really is, the different frequencies of it, and this mysterious Greek element. It's not by chance that the Aetherius Society, because uh, the, the real name of the, the, the intelligence we call the Master Aetherius is not Aetherius. It's a name that was given to us to use for him, and there must be a very, very good reason why. And it uh, must have to do with that, that Greek element. Um, so UFOs, yes, they, when they blink out and they can blink back in again, they can also change shape. They have flight uh, patterns that defy the possibilities of terrestrial aircraft. They, had, they go, uh, we actually, after the show last night, we had some very interesting phone callers reporting their sightings, some of whom haven't felt able, and this is ridiculous, situation not ridiculous of them but a ridiculous situation they felt they couldn't tell people in case they were ridiculed for being eccentric and so on and the speed one of them said at which the, the ufo that he saw shot off uh was way beyond the capacity of any any 
extraterrestrial craft. But also they can, yes, as you say, blink out right in front. You can be watching it. And Alice and I had a sighting, for example, in Devon, when we, you might remember we were searching Mary King's Close Encounters, the mother yes. of Dr. King, down in Devon. And uh, we we had a sighting, actually, after looking and visiting the, the, the premises and the field in which uh, the, the craft landed that she travelled in. And that night, between 3 and 3.20 a.m., we had a, an amazing sighting where it was still in the sky, but changing shape and colour, but standing absolutely still, not moving, until finally it just blinked out, as you rightly say. So it was there for 20 minutes, between 3am and 3.20. We just got up for some reason and looked out the window. And it turned out, of course, when we checked, that that was the time of Mary King's rendezvous, 3am. And on one occasion, she'd had a sighting at 3.20am from her window. That's very Mm. interesting indeed. Richard, you've you've talked a lot about science, which is fascinating, and also all these things which... um, merge into the psychic realms. And I, I just want to give a shout yeah. out to listeners to your fantastic international best-selling book because Richard just hasn't written the UFO books, also many other books too. Uh, this is called Unlock Your Psychic Powers. So if you are listening and interested in this topic, then please do take a look at that because it goes into you know all sorts of things, the spirit realms, life after death, clairvoyance, etc., etc. Um, Richard? Thanks, Chrissy. I mean, you know that book came out in 1993? And, I, you know, it's, I'm so happy that it's still in print, you know, 20, what are we now, 26 years on, or 27 years, I suppose, this year. Yeah, that's yeah. unusual, yeah, very unusual. And not only in English, coming... I mean, it's Russia, go on, sorry, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, we're yeah. sort of coming to the end, sadly, no. because I think, I know you've oh, talked yes. for a long time about this topic, but one thing I, I, know, I want to say, I know. Um, you were very, the very on. close disciple of, of Dr. The late Dr. George King, and also a close friend. And um, apart yeah. from the Chernobyl experience you talked about, which really is all one needs to prove that Dr. King's contacts were genuine, but are there other reasons why you could say categorically, why we say categorically in the Ethereum Society that he was genuinely in touch with the cosmic masters? You know, I think he answered that question brilliantly. Um, you know, he sort of said, if you take, for example, um, I've given an example of the Russian atomic accident uh, of Chernobyl. Uh, there, are, you know, some of the things he—I mean, what he said about the wind scale now Sellafield, and a lot of the things he said about the effects of atomic uh, radiation, which weren't understood, the dangers weren't appreciated when he said it, uh, have been absolutely proved correct. But I think even more so is the profound philosophy and the beauty of the teachings he received. And as he used to say, you know, it either comes from me, in other words, him, or it comes from the cosmic masters. And he and he attributed it to the cosmic masters. Uh, if it came from him, then that makes him something special. But he's not cla- he wasn't claiming to be something special. But either way, the teachings stand. I think you can investigate them. And you know, it's so easy to disparage religious organisations, isn't it? I mean, um, I, I was asked. Actually, I will say by one caller whether we're a cult, or actually wasn't asked. I was told we are a cult, and you know it doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to. But sometimes people will say things like that, and it's so easy, it's so lazy, I think, to to say things like that. And the answer is no, we're not. Um, really, what I would suggest people are interested in doing is not taking my word for it. Investigate two things within any organisation, actually. One, the teachings, you know, and, and whether they are doing good for the world. That you know, the content of the teachings and what the organisation does for humanity. That's one thing. And then the other thing is the conduct of that organisation, how they treat their own people, um, etc. And you can find that you'll have organizations who are perhaps have a great teaching but they don't behave very well to their people and we know these terrible stories of brainwashing and breaking up families and you know extorting money and and all of that and then you can have people on the other side who 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 do one and not the other they but they behave very well but i'm afraid their teachings and their work isn't really valid Um, you form your own conclusions but in the end I'm afraid the word cult is now a pejorative, it's now an insult, it's an easy way 
of a, a sort of subtly undermining the reputation of an organization that you haven't investigated and you know nothing about. So I thought I'd just throw that in as well. Yeah. But in terms of the, the truth of the society, I mean, don't take our word from on a theorist radio live. Look into it. Test it. Try the practices that Dr. King taught and that the cosmic masters gave, that the master Ethereus gave. Um, study the teachings. See if you think the nine freedoms, as I think, is the greatest philosophical work on earth. That's my opinion. And I say it being uh, someone who's studied and really appreciates some of the other great teachings of the world, such as the Tao Te Ching and the Bhagavad Gita and, and, so, and so forth. Um, you've got to form your own conclusions. Uh, but in the end, I don't think it would have been possible myself for anybody who wasn't genuine to just sit down and give forth of the kinds of communications that uh, Dr. King gave forth, uh, either the accuracy or the, or the beauty or the brilliance uh, without you know, having notes, without being able to edit. Uh, I, I think it's undeniable, uh, certainly from a logical examination and in terms of an intuitive examination, that's even more valuable if you're able to do that and tune into the vibration and the very essence of the great communications he brought to us and how he linked from the very beginning, from January the 29th, 1955, UFOs and spirituality. Thank you very much, Richard. Just one closing question I think we've all got time for. That's all we've got time for now. Um, if listeners are already, you know, believing in UFOs and want to know more, what... What can people do apart from researching the Ethereum Society, but in their own lives to bring about a closer cooperation? What, what, how can they cooperate with this plan, this very hopeful plan that the advanced intelligences have for us? You know, Chrissy, because you've been very patient and you asked me all these questions <laughs> and you let me blather on. Uh, would you like to answer that quest very good question? Well, I think it's a very important one. Thank you, Richard, um, because people are in such chaos at the moment. This very day when we're talking about giving this hopeful message of the cosmic masters helping our world, the impeachment of the U.S. president is taking place. You know, it's ironic. So there's this tremendously hopeful and positive plan which all of us can be a part of. And one way we can is through cooperating with um, a spacecraft called Satellite Number 3, which comes into orbit at certain times each year, which you can find out the information about on our website, ethereus.org. And we can cooperate directly through sending our prayers and our love out during these times, and of course at all times. And also spreading the message about this, this hopeful message, and talking to people about this and the Ethereus Society and so on. And, and there is, Dr. King used to say that if we take one step towards them, they will take two towards us. And I know, Richard, you certainly had that proven through, um, I remember there was one UK tour of UFOs that you did. I think about 17 cities that you visited, or 19. And there was a yes. massive UFO yes. sighting at the beginning of the, the first city and a massive one at the That's last right. city. And we found yeah, that it happens over and over again. Yes, and often you're on the radio, and while you're on it, a UFO comes down in one occasion, a beam to beam down on the car of someone who was listening in their car, and the car couldn't move until the beam was retracted again by that UFO, and then it moved on. And an extremely credible witness, a family actually, uh, who experienced that. Yeah, so let's just take that one step, uh, go beyond just an interest, just research, and start to act and start to really uh, find it will change your life for the better. So. Thank you so much, yeah, yeah. Richard. Do you have any closing words? Thank you, Chrissy. No, I think you put it extremely well. I completely agree with what you said there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, and thanks, Nikki, for the close. Thank you, Nikki. Well, yes, well, wow. Thank you so much, Richard and Chrissy. Gosh, UFOs and spirituality is truly a subject worthy of deeper inve investigation with open minds. Fool, you have been listening to Ethereum Radio Live, which is your com cosmic connection the third Tuesday of each month. The next show will be on February the 18th, when Richard and Chrissy 
We'll be talking about discipleship through the ages. As always, our website, Ethereus.org, has more information and details of the various publications such as UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message, Contacts with the Godson Space, and Unlock Your Psychic Powers, together with various audio titles available on CD or download. You can connect with Chrissy Blaze and Richard Lawrence by visiting their respective websites, chrissyblaze.com and richardlawrence.co.uk. We hope you have enjoyed listening to Ethereus Radio Live, and we really look forward to being with you next month. <laughs>